Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Anthem Podcast. Bert Alcorn here. Happy New Year. Uh, This is getting released on January 1st, 2021. Does the air feel different? Is there something about leaving 2020 behind that's already got a little pep in your step? Uh, I hope so. Uh, I really do. Hey, we kicked off this series trying to answer the question and really starting the year with this question, how do I tend to my soul while tending to my soil? Uh, So a couple of podcasts back, we talked about why we'd even start the year off with this question. And we said, because those two things, our soul, the inner life, and our soil, the external assignments, often are in competition with one another. And from scripture, there's actually a way to be healthy in both of those spheres. And spoiler alert, it does not come from doing the thing with which most of us do, which is starting with trying to fix the soil, tend to the soil, and hoping that has positive impact on our soul. But actually what scripture gives us a picture of is tending to our soul first and letting that change and affect all those external assignments that we have. Yesterday on the pod, we were talking about what the soul is and Jesus's priority for our soul health, and then recommended a book, Soul Keeper by John Ortberg. Uh, Hope you've picked that up, or uh, maybe on Kindle or at Amazon or your local bookstore or whatever, and have started reading into that. I'll have another book recommendation after today. But today I want to talk about the soil, right? So we talked about tending to your soul. What does it mean to tend to my soil? What is soil? Uh, this is this is more of the, uh, so soul, I had a pretty clear understanding of from scripture. Soil is, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of liberties here to make the, the question cute. How do we tend to our soul while tending to our soil? Are there better words I could have swapped in? Sure. But we're going to use soil. And soil is going to be the stand-in for the assignment God has on our lives. So think um, if you uh, are involved in some sort of mission or ministry, uh, working with kids or students, um, teaching, leading, whatever, you know, in community with people, uh, think of it as your marriage. Um, Think of it as your parenting, your job, your career, your work life. If you're in school, it's your kind of academia pursuits. It's um, your classes. So it's the thing God has put in front of you. I'm trying really carefully not to say calling because that word gets thrown around so much with so little understanding that it becomes very unhelpful. But I guess for lack of other words here, what is God's calling on your life? What is the thing he's asked you to do? Um, So what is the assignment God has on our life? Now, the reason I picked the word soil is because there's a particular story, a parable of Jesus that stands out to me as I'm thinking about this here. And it's the parable of the sower and the soil uh, that's found in both Matthew 13 and Mark 4. It's nearly identical teaching from Jesus, uh, and he not only shares the parable, but he actually commentates on the parable itself. And so if you have a Bible, if you're in a spot where you can, um, flip open your Bible to Matthew 13. I want to read the passage and then just go back and make some comments on what Jesus is talking about here. So in Matthew chapter 13, he starts like this. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat behind, beside the sea. And a great crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat, sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, right? So a little makeshift platform stage thing. And he told them many things in parables. So this is like a for instance moment. He told them many things in parables saying, quote, a sower went out to sow. Right, so just real quick, remember this is like agrarian farm. This would have been like the most relevant. This is Jesus being like 
topically, culturally relevant, right? And so he said, the sower went out to sow. And everyone's like, yeah, I get that. I know what a sower is. I know what farming is. I'm with you. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, since they had no root. They withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. All right, so Jesus tells this parable, mic drops, he who has ears, let him hear. And uh, in verse 10, here's what we got. The disciples came to him saying, why do you speak to them in parables? Uh, they were not tracking, the crowd was not tracking, and they asked Jesus for some explanation. And he answered them, verse 11, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to, those, uh, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he have will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, quote, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, I would heal them. End quote. But Jesus continues, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear the parable of the the sower. So he goes on to actually explain and unpack, um, uh, to explain and unpack to his disciples what he was meaning by that teaching. He says in verse 19, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. But it endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the one, uh, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. And he goes on to tell a few more parables, but I want to stop there and camp out on that parable of the sower. Jesus tells this parable about the sower, and he explains it. He says that the seed, right, and so this is the, in Jesus' parable, the object of gospel ministry. The sower is the one proclaiming this good news of the gospel. The seed is the gospel, and it falls on four types of people, according to Jesus. First, the seed falls on the path, and it's scattered on the path, and the bird ate them. And so we say, these are the people who hear the word, but they don't understand it. They don't get it. And so immediately he says the enemy snatches it away. So there's nothing there anymore. That's in verse uh, 19 when he says, anyone who hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. 
what has been sown in his heart. That's what's happening on the path. The second scenario is the rocky ground where there's no depth is what he says to the seed. So they hear the word, they receive it, but it stays shallow. So when persecution or tribulation, when kind of any testing, like First uh, Peter talks about testing the genuineness of your faith, when any testing comes, it stays shallow. Now, if I can, 2020 was quite the testing year. And it's been said conservatively by outlets like uh, Barna, who do a lot of polling and surveys uh, around culture and faith. Conservatively, 50% of people have left the church in 2020 and are not coming back. Sorry, 50% of people under 40, 30% overall. So 30% overall in America, 50% um, uh, those under um 40 have left the church and are not coming back. And a few recent studies of which I've not seen yet, but I've just heard kind of the synopsis says it's closer to 52%. So more than half. What that tells me is all those people were rocky ground that maybe they received it. They heard the word, they received it. They sat in those church services. They served on those kids teams. They served as those greeters. They maybe even gave to a church and had friendships inside the church. But as soon as persecution, tribulation, suffering, inconvenience came, they bolted and rejected. Now we've seen this in our church. Our church over the summertime of 2020, right, kind of through the the extremes of uh, a COVID in terms of just kind of not really knowing what's happening, uh, we, we shrunk by half. And some moved out of state, uh, some moved on to other things, and we were able to bless anyone that we could bless that we got to send out, but people left. And I look at that going, there's a whole lot of rocky ground in our church that we didn't even know because there was some immediate fruit, right? It springs up really quickly, but then as soon as suffering, persecution, tribulation, trial, as soon as any of that comes, they die off. It just stays shallow. So that's the second scenario Jesus throws out. The third is it gets, uh, the seed gets thrown around the thorns. And it's those who are, um, who the word maybe goes to, but then it gets choked out. So they hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out. What is particularly interesting is Jesus doesn't blame this one on the enemy. That's the path, right? So it gets scattered on the path and the enemy snatches it away. They don't even hear it. But there are those who hear the word but cannot give up the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of riches. I'm thinking of the rich young ruler Jesus encounters when he said, Jesus, I've done all these things. I've given away this amount of money. I've, you know, whatever. I've lived this holy life. I've been righteous. And Jesus says, sell all you have and come follow me. And he just can't do it because he is so wrapped up in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And it gets choked out. This is maybe one of the primary uh, things that ails and afflicts Christianity in the West. Because life is amazing. It's comfortable. We all have cars and houses and food. And not only that, we all have our fancy coffees and our expensive whiskey. And we have these really delicious meals all the time. We can go out to eat all the time. Like life is really good here. And once again, I've said this before that even though this is one of the primary ways that we don't encounter Jesus, it's not bad that life is good. It's the implications of that life is good that make it hard to follow Jesus in our time and place because the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out. 
This is one of the huge disqualifiers of leaders in ministry is they care too much about the world. Third scenario. Fourth scenario is the good soil, right? And they produce fruits. These are the people who hear it and not just receive it, but understand it. Let he who has ears, let him hear. These are the people who actually receive and understand the gospel work. It changes them from the inside out and they produce good fruit. This is why I bring up soil. Because we all have soil in our lives. We are all on mission in our lives. We all have an assignment that God has for our life. And as we go out, we will have success or we will have failure. We will have fruitfulness or ineffectiveness. And the reason I bring up the parable of the soils is one of the things Jesus does not do is blame the seed and he does not blame the sower for how that seed gets spread. It is the responsibility and duty of the sower to spread the seed. We know the seed in the right circumstances has the power of life and fruit. I think where the connection here is, is that if we are faithful in tending to our soul, we then become a faithful sower of that seed. Whether it be specifically in Matthew 13 and Mark 4, where I believe Jesus is talking about the good news of the gospel is the seed, but also to extrapolate that onto the assignment God has in your life. So not only proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel with your life, but also being a faithful spouse, being a faithful parent, a faithful member of your your company or your classroom or whatever context God has you in, it is tending to your soul is then becoming a faithful sower so that when God puts assignment in our lives and as that seed gets scattered, it's going to get scattered on all sorts of different contexts, people who receive it, people who respond well, and people who don't. But what does not shift is the faithfulness of the sower himself, and that comes from having a healthy soul. So we talked about the soul We've talked about the soil. The book recommendation for yesterday, The Soul was Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And uh, I would say the recommendation I have for you around soil and assignment uh, is going to be Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor. And so he does an amazing job in that book processing through career, vocation, through the lens of like our identity as followers of Jesus. So Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. So back to our question. How do we tend to our soul while tending to our soil? How are we faithful and growing in our inner life with God whilst uh, dealing and tending with the external assignments and pressures that we do have? Parenting, marriage, school, work, friendships, ministry, mission, whatever God has in front of you. How do we tend both well? The first thing that we've established so far is it starts not by trying to tend to the soil first and hoping that will produce a healthy soul, but actually tending to our soul first, knowing that we can then walk faithfully as a sower with the soil God is giving us. And thus, we do not live and die based on the successes and failures of our external output. Sometimes it'll go well, sometimes it won't. Sometimes we can be more strategic, more tactful. Sometimes we make mistake, but we do not live and die with the success and failures of our soil if, if we start with tending to our soul, having a healthy inner life. Now that we've done a couple of 
definitions. And now that we have kind of established what we're into, I want to use Psalm 42. Psalm 42, I think, gives us incredibly profound insight into this question of how do we keep filling out when we are filling up when we are pouring out, or how do we tend to our soul while we're tending to our soil? Because we know practically we don't get a moment to, we don't get to run away for three months and just tend to our soul. We kind of have to run and shoot at the same time, okay? And I believe David in Psalm 42 gives us some profound insight into this question. Um, and gives us four ways we can tend our soul while we are tending to our soil. So ten, we can four ways to tend to our soul amidst the pressures of external expectations, assignments, and callings. So that's where we're going to be next week, answering this question, how do we tend our soul while tending to our soil from Psalm 42? We'll see you then. <laughs>